Good evening, everybody. Welcome into To The Point. We're all doing well on this Tuesday, December 12th. A lot to dive into tonight on the podcast. This evening, we're going to talk about Monday Night Football, a couple of collapses, some misses, painful loss for the Dolphins, painful loss for the Packers, Tommy DeVito era, alive and well. The family was taking over. The entire city and his agent, who <laughs> looked like a, a guy out of Goodfellas. Also tonight, we're going to talk about the Shohei Otani contract. The deferrals. How does this work? How much money is he making this season? I'm going to get into all of that. It's crazy. I've never seen a contract like it, the way it's structured. But we'll dive into that with... Otani joining the Dodgers and why the Blue Jays never really had a chance to sign him based on this contract. Not that it's Toronto, although that's part of it. And people get really sensitive about that. So won't go in too much. If we got time, we're going to talk U- U- UFC, some awesome fights announced. So we'll also talk about that. But I want to start with the National Hockey League. Big moment last night, John Tavares in Long Island playing the Islanders, drafted by the Islanders, played the first six years of his career, one of the best players in franchise history. Last night he became one of... Only 98 players in the history of the game have reached 1,000 points, and John Tavares joined that illustrious group. Incredible accomplishment. Great career. Talked about a lot about his contract in Toronto, and if if he could have it back, and while I don't think he's an $11 million player, I think he's been a really good Toronto Maple Leaf. He's kept everything at bay because he might be the most boring human being in the National Hockey League, and that's a league that includes Sidney Crosby. But he's done everything that you'd want in Toronto. He did everything you'd want in New York. And then he left. And why I want to talk about this, it was an Islanders Leafs game that was interesting, competitive, Islanders win in overtime because the Leafs are going to play in overtime. We know that. That seems to be a given. But the result wasn't that interesting to me. Austin Matthews is playing great. I actually thought the Leafs played a good game last night. Islanders were game. And Sorokin was a tad bit better than Ilya Samsonov, and that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And the Islanders are becoming a faster, better team. But I thought Toronto played well again, just like they did on Saturday. They got some holes on their back end. Connor Timmins remains not an NHL defenseman. Jake McCabe needs to figure out which side of the ice he wants to cover because he struggles to do that. Just him and Morgan Morgan Riley on the ice together doesn't gel. Doesn't happen often, but it happened once last night, and it uh, ended up in the back of the net. But that's small potatoes, right? What I want to talk about is when – Toronto ties the game with whatever, four seconds left. 
and we know we're going overtime, and Tavares gets an assist on the goal, and the entire bench empties, and they stop the game. And during this time, the Islanders fans boo John Tavares. And Twitter went into complete craziness. Fans said it was classless. That he's one of the best players ever. You have to acknowledge him and come on, like show some class. Okay. <laughs> Fans are fickle. Fans are part of the foundation of the game. Without fans, there are no sport. Because without fans, there's no money. And in my opinion, when you buy a ticket, you have the right to boo. You don't have the right to throw a beer bottle at somebody or get into a fight or yell a racial slur because you shouldn't do that in everyday life. When you buy a ticket to go into a sporting event, you have the right to boo. If you don't like a person, you boo them. Simple as that. If there's nothing, no malice attached to it, then that's just sports. What happened to John Tavares after that goal, there was nothing wrong with it. I don't understand why the majority of it said it was a classless move. I find it funny that a fan base... And I'm going to make this a Leaf issue that a fan base, Maple Leaf fans, often when their team loses, tell their players that they're going to kill them. Or that Jake Gardner should kill himself after a poor Game 7. And I guess that's a couple bad apples, and of course there's bad apples in every group. There's more Leaf fans in the world than any other team, so that makes them, just by proxy and by numbers, there are more idiots in the Leaf fan base than any other fan base. But booing John Tavares, he left Long Island to go to Toronto because he's from Toronto, but he, he hung them out to dry. He didn't give them the option to trade him to get something in return. It was, hey, at the last minute, I'm going to pick Toronto. And he took off. He could have handled it better. The exit could have been cleaner. It wasn't LeBron James, I'm taking my talents to South Beach with Jim Gray bad. But it wasn't perfect. Trade him at the deadline, get something brought in. Things can change. Matthew Kachuk gave the Flames a heads up. I'm sure people in Calgary don't like him, and they have every right to boo him. But I don't care if it's a 1,000 points. I don't care if it's one point. It doesn't change the moment. Because on home ice, you get a standing ovation. I'm sure Toronto might have stopped the game, given him a plaque, something. Felt like it was never going to end. But booing him in that moment? Nothing wrong with it. Not classless. Whatsoever. It's a part of the sporting event. If that's classless, to quote Candace Owens, get a fucking helmet. Life's too short. If that's classless, you don't know what classless is. Come on. This was just the general theme. Oh, it's so unbecoming. How could you boo him in this? I'll, I, fuck it, he left you. 
If you have a girlfriend, she cheats on you. She leaves you. No, I didn't. I, I just left you. And she started dating a guy a day later. You happy with her? She's chumming it up and she's happier than she's ever been. She's posting on Instagram. Are you just okay? Well, she's great. I wish her the best. When they get engaged, I'm so happy. No, you're not. Because you're a vengeful person. Because we all are. And you might go, you know what? I hope they don't make it. <laughs> might sound bad, but everybody does it. And if they didn't work out, I wouldn't complain. Male, female, doesn't matter. Happen to either sex. We're all a bunch of vengeful bitches. We all are. Islanders fans were envious that Tavares didn't get a 1,000 points with their team. They were upset that he chose Toronto over Long Island. And after gaining exceptional status and Having a great start to his career, he won one playoff round in his entirety of his career in Long Island. And since he's left, they've won six. So who <laughs> who really won this trade-off? Maple Leafs won playoff round, Islanders six since the departure. But you still can boo. Not classless. Nothing wrong with it. I'll tell you what might be considered classless. I'm flicking around last night, can't sleep, watching Avalanche play the Calgary Flames, and it's a backyard football-type game, just goal after goal. Nobody can make a save, poor defensive plays, but it's a fun watch on a Monday night. And I get to the end of the game, and I'm drifting off, and I wake up and do a bit of reading. Miko Rantanen who normally isn't exactly Mr. Hot Off the Presses, not exactly uh, Mr. Give Me a Great Quote, he did his media scrum, then went back and talked to the media and said, you know what really pisses me off, guys, is when outsiders, when parents start chiming in on my play. And he was referring to Arturi Lekkonen's father, a fellow Finn, who had been criticizing Rantanen in the media in Finland. Now, Arturi Lekkonen's father, does he have the right to think Miko Rantanen has been playing well? Sure. But I grew up with a family that loves sports. I went to game, I went to so many games with my uncle, so many games with my parents. And I think back to sitting watching games with them, watching my cousin Sawyer, watching my cousin Tally. We all, uh, my sister Tally, pardon me, we all had players on their respective teams that we didn't think were all that great. And we would voice that frustration to one another, in the car ride home, in the intermission, in the corner where nobody can hear you. But it was subdued. It was controlled. It was not in an environment where everybody can hear. My father, passionate man, 
I think he, you know, critiqued my sister and I's game harder than any other kids, which he should. He's a parent of us, not the other kids. But we talked after the game, and this player sucks, and he can't doesn't have good gap control, and we can't get a fucking save. But it wasn't voiced in front of the players or in front of the parents. Because I think there's a sense of decorum, and there's a, a level of respect that you have. Because you're all going through the same thing. There are going to be games. When my father was watching me, and I stunk up the joint. I could have been hungover. I could have been sick. I could have just been bad because it was one of those days. But he might have hated player X. Didn't like his style of play. My mother too, but she's more subdued, a little more nice, a little, little more controlled than my father and I. But... We would voice it in the vehicle. Arturi Lekkonen's father, you have every right to think Miko Rantanen is not playing well or dogging it. But talking about it in the media is weak. It's Bush League. You have to be aware of how that's going to affect your son. It's a selfish decision. Because, okay, you don't have a good relationship with Miko Rantanen. Who cares? You're in Finland and you're his father. But will Miko Rantanen trust Arturi Lekkonen again? Is Arturi Lekkonen really the one saying this to his father and it's just coming out of the horse's mouth? How is this really going down? There are question marks now. You want to keep those relationships tight. You want to keep those relationships strong. They're your teammate. Whether you like their style of play, whether you like what they bring to the table, it's not changing. Miko Rantanen isn't going anywhere. He's not getting traded. He's one of the cornerstones of that franchise. And prior to last night, Colorado was playing some really poor hockey. They weren't getting saves, and they're playing bad defensively. While Winnipeg and Dallas were getting wins around them and kind of beating them in the standings in the very tight central division. But to me, that's more classless than the Tavares incident. Because there's a code. It's just, it, you got to know the situation. I might have an opinion about somebody that's really close to my parents, just for instance. I'm not going to share it publicly because it will affect that relationship. That's a decision that I'm making, but it's a decision that affects them more than it will affect me. They might have a friend that I hate, that uh, so that they hate, and they can tell me one-on-one, -on -one, but if they voice it to a bunch of other people and it gets back to me, that's a selfish decision on their part. If Arturi Lekkonen doesn't like the way Miko Rantanen's playing, be a man and go talk to him. Or at least have the self-awareness that telling your father is like telling the world. 
It's like Donald Trump's Twitter feed. It's going out. Not if, but when. When is that going to be out? If loose lips sink ships and you know your father can't keep a secret, then don't tell him. Shut up. This became a story because Rantanen made it a story. I'm sure that insiders don't follow uh, Finnish media. But he brought this up and it becomes a team issue. And it might not be Lekkonen whatsoever. But all I know is normally you vent your frustrations to people you trust and people who are close to you. You don't vent it to a stranger. And normally, your parents at the top of the list. In particular, if they're at the games or you, you play a game, you call your parent, that's who you hear from. That's who hear your frustrations, you hear them. But there's an understanding that what you say to them does not leave that conversation. In more than just this environment, but when you're talking about teammates, you, it's important to have that outlet. Because you need to. You're frustrated with somebody. You're frustrated with your play. Whatever it might be, it's healthy. It's not healthy that what you tell them gets out. Because they might not be a shrink, but they chose to have kids. I tell that to my mother all the time. If I piss her off sometimes or I'm making jokes and just being myself, which can be irritating on the best day. Say, hey, you chose to have me. Your call. Could have just, you know, skipped me and had Tally, I guess. Or had no kids, which would always be my choice. So why would you want kids? They're gross. But I'm sharing that with you all. Even if you have kids, I think it's a safe space. And you're not going to tell anybody else. You're not going to tell the sensitive people with kids because then that would violate our trust, right? So I appreciate you doing that. Appreciate you keeping it in the inner circle because I don't want parents coming at me because there's a lot of them. And they suck. But good on Miko Rannon for rigging this up. I like that he did. Before we get to the suspensions, Pacific Division the Western Conference. To quote LeBron James, it's top-heavy as bleep. The Pacific, you have the Golden Knights, obviously fresh off winning the Stanley Cup. Vancouver, who's had a better start to the season than anybody could have pictured. And you have the Los Angeles Kings, who are playing great hockey, and they've only played 25 games. 
After that, you have Calgary, Edmonton. But here's the thing. Edmonton's play, uh, Calgary's played 28 games. They're under 500. Edmonton is completely 500. They have 25 points in 25 games. They've won seven in a row. They're playing great hockey. They're getting a save. Well, you have the Sharks, who stink. You have the Ducks, who have lost 11 of their last 12. And the Kraken, who have lost eight straight. It's those four. And I think all four of those teams are going to make the playoffs in the Pacific Division. Kraken are done. I'm ruling them out now. Too many injuries. Too much inconsistency. They're not getting the goal scoring. The goaltending, oof, Grubauer, is completely out to lunch. And the Anaheim Ducks had a great start. And they're going to have another season where can they trade John Gibson? Is somebody going to take him? L.A., Jersey. They're teams that could use his services for sure. But it's a top, top-heavy Pacific. With some really good teams. And I've said this all along. The Western Conference, yes, the bottom of it sucks. The top half of the Western Conference is better than the top half of the East, period. Colorado, Vegas, Vancouver, Dallas, Winnipeg, who have been great. Okay, you got Toronto on the other side, and Boston, who, yeah, they've been very good. And you got Florida, who I like. But the Metro, surprising Flyers, the Islanders, the Rangers, who have had a great start. But I, the West is better. Has been from day one. East gets more, gets more notoriety. People go to bed before the West starts, but doesn't change the fact that the conference tougher. Might sound crazy, but I'm not. But I want to talk about that because the top half was, is very, very good. But Kraken, Ducks, your season's over. Done. Send in the papers now. You're. Book a flight, Expedia, to uh, the Bahamas in early April because you won't be playing. Last night, we got word from George Peros and the Department of Player Safety about two suspensions across the league. First, that was announced. This one stunned me. David Perron who Saturday night was involved in the brouhaha with the Ottawa Senators. Dylan Larkin goes down. Dylan Larkin's out for an extended period of time. We don't know how much yet. Lying lifeless on the ice. Perron goes after Artem Zub. Cross-checks him in the neck. He gets a five in a game, and he's ejected. For reference, David Perron's played over 1,100 games. He's never been suspended. And he was given a six-game suspension last night by the Department of Player Safety. 
<sighs> First off, six games where you've never been suspended. Was the play that David Pra did dirty? Yeah, it was. He went after the neck of a player. But this was after they went after his captain. And based off the next suspension that we're going to talk about, defending yourself isn't all that bad. doesn't get you that much of a suspension. David Perron acted like a veteran and acted like a leader in that moment. Because he saw his captain laying on the ice with Artem Zub and Matthew Joseph doing whatever the fuck they could do to Dylan Lark. Was it, uh, did it happen on purpose? I don't give a shit. It happened. Accidents happen. Okay. Accidents happen. And guess what? He was still injured and it was a dirty play. An accident happens when your stick comes up and you clip somebody. Then the refs go back and review it for three minutes and say, oh, that's a four minute double, double minor for high sticking. It, it, it was an accident, but it happened. And it's a four minute power play. I don't like setting a precedent that if you go defend a teammate, you're going to be suspended while Matthew Joseph gets sweet fuck all for knocking the captain of the Detroit Red Wings out for a TBD amount of time. Matthew Joseph is a good player, but that was it was a dirty play by him first. I always heard two wrongs don't make a right. Well... How about you don't, the first wrong doesn't happen. Then it doesn't matter what happens next. This logic in life of, oh, you retaliated. You got to be the one to get it. He started it. You don't start none. There ain't going to be none. Ice cube. Simple. Don't start shit. There won't be any shit. Matthew Joseph initiated this play. By knocking out Dylan Larkin. David Perron said, enough. I'm going to go attack one of your players who was also involved. So, because you hurt my captain. He looked dead on the ice. Never been suspended. 1,100 games. A veteran of the league. He's going to appeal this. And he should win the appeal. I think it's going to be thrown back to four. That's my guess. Because getting five plus when you've never been suspended is nuts. It's also not lost. I mean, George Peros is doing this. And George Peros, former fighter, former tough guy, dirty player. But just stupid. I'm going to go defend my teammate, and then you get a six-game suspension? Bullshit. Was it? Okay, give him a one- or two-game suspension. I'm not, okay. Was it dirty? Yes. Fully admitting that. But he's never been suspended, and his players, his captain's knocked out, and their season could be done. Ugh. Next up, Eric Goodbranson. If you're not familiar with this, Sunday afternoon, Florida Panthers forward, Nick Cousins, chasing Goodbranson back. They're going to the end boards. Nick Cousins does like a, it's about a half reverse hit 
Odd Gabranson. Gabranson goes in the boards a little sideways. It was not a check from behind. It was at the worst boarding. I don't think it was a penalty, quite frankly. Two guys going for the puck, and Nick Cousins did not did not push him in, did not slew foot him. He had body position, and Gabranson went in. My take on it. Gabranson was pissed. There's audio him on the bench saying, I'm going to get him. Next shift, he's mine. And the next shift, he says, screw the puck. Grabs Nick Cousins, throws him to the ground, and gets about five, six punches in just on a turtled, kind of defenseless Nick Cousins. He didn't like the hit, and he defended himself. And Erica Branson got a one-game suspension. So Branson felt wronged, and he defended himself. Gets one game. Perron's defending a teammate. He gets six games. Branson could have killed Nick Cousins. He's a huge man. He was just laying punch after punch with him on the ice. Completely away from the play. Branson's been suspended before, too. So he has a history with the league because that's based into the suspension. It's not lost on me. Branson gets suspended for something to do with a fight and he only gets one game. Perron not involved with the fight. He gets six. I don't hate Branson for defending himself. He felt it was a dirty hit. He did something about it. Good on you. Was pissed off and he lost it. What I don't like is he defends himself. Perron's wants to defend a teammate who can't defend himself, and it's six games. And Goodbranson was much – the risk factor for Goodbranson was a hell of a lot more than David Perron. A hell of a lot more. Here's the other thing, too. We're still waiting here on Ryan Strom, who went knee-on-knee knee with Kyle Connor. I haven't heard anything yet. I'm surprised. Kyle Connor's out two months. Has 16 goals. Great start to the season. Winnipeg's playing great hockey. Arguably, you could argue he's their best player. He's gone for two months. That's going to really hurt them because they don't have as much depth as other teams. So Ryan Strom on the Ducks, who suck, we just talked about their season's done. He injures Kyle Connor. Whatever the suspension is, it won't be worth it because Kyle Connor is worth more to the Jets than Strom is at any time to the Anaheim Ducks. And the fact that it happened Sunday, we haven't heard anything, he very well might not be suspended. He might skate. And based off the other two results, he shouldn't. Based off the other two suspensions, no way. No way. But we'll see. I don't know. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. 
But I'm curious to see Ryan Strom with these suspensions. I don't see consistency. I don't see a, I think they're completely wishy-washy on the way they want to handle these. 6-1. Good Branson really could have hurt Nick Cousins. Really could have. Because he's a huge human being. But nah, nothing happens. Tonight in the National Hockey League, we got quite a slew of games. Coyotes are in Pittsburgh. Carolina coming off a players-only meeting and also Andrei Svechnikov being out for an extended period of time. They're in Ottawa. Maple Leafs at the Rangers on a back-to-back. Red Wings Blues. Flyers in Nashville. Connor Bedard versus Connor McDavid for the first time this evening. Flames in Vegas. Tampa Bay in Vancouver, which should be a fun game. Florida Panthers in against the Seattle Kraken. And Winnipeg in San Jose. Martin Jones gets his first start of the season for the Maple Leafs with Joseph Wall out. I'm curious to see the Hurricanes play tonight. They really had a tough road swing. No confidence, not playing good hockey. They need a boost. They need something to go their way. I don't know if it will. But we'll see what happens with Carolina tonight. Maple Leafs Rangers should be fun. But yeah, some decent games in the NHL tonight on a on a Tuesday. I want to bring this up. Lakers won the in-season tournament Saturday night. And I think largely the in-season tournament was a victory for the NBA. I think they should break it into easier to follow groups next year. I think they should make winning it mean something more than just 500 grand. I don't know if you can guarantee a postseason spot, but I think it should be pontificated about. At least you make the fight. You win it, you're guaranteed. You're at least the a play-in team. I think they can up the stakes, make it more interesting because I watched the the semifinals. I watched the last game. It was entertaining. Anthony Davis was great. LeBron. I like watching the Pacers because they play great offense, absolutely no defense every night. But this event, if you won the in-season tournament, would you hang a banner? Well, the Lakers are. It might be tonight or it could be next week. I know it's a Tuesday. It might be, it might be next Tuesday. Might be wrong about that. But they're going to hang a banner for winning the in-season. The Lakers, who are tied with the Boston Leprechauns for the most championships in league history. You know, Jerry West, Shaq, Kobe, Magic, Kareem, LeBron. Did... 
Dr. Jerry Buss, winning in the regular season did not matter. It's about winning championships and making the Lakers showtime. I think if Indiana would have won the in-season tournament, you hang the banner. You hang the banner because Indiana really hasn't won anything. They got close with Reggie Miller and Mark Jackson and those tough Pacers teams that tried to give Jordan the business but could never get over the hump. I think it would mean something to Indiana to see them have, you know, raise something, have something positive happen to that market. But this, to me, just seems a little silly. Maybe LeBron will count it as a fifth championship, maybe with the in-season tournament and the Fauci medal wins combined in the bubble. Those equal one championship. I don't know. Maybe that's the thought process as he tries to get closer to Michael Jordan. But I just found it strange for probably the most prestigious franchise in basketball history to say we're going to raise an in-season tournament banner. The Lakers might win the championship. That's the bigger prize. I I had them before the season. I had the Lakers win, winning, the, winning the whole thing. I think they can. Need some more shooting. Need a better point guard alongside LeBron. If Anthony Davis is playing the way he did in that in-season tournament, they're really hard to beat. He played like the man. He played like the best player on that team. LeBron was good, didn't have to be great, which is the way it should be with LeBron at age 39 and season 21. He shouldn't be expected to be the best player on the floor every night. Lakers are in Dallas tonight. Status of Kyrie Irving's up in the air. Injured his ankle on Friday. Hasn't played since. Two fun teams. Seeing Luka go up against LeBron. It's always fun. Warriors-Suns. Warriors-Suns is interesting because it's December 12th. And Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant, the big acquisitions, they haven't played together one time this year. Haven't all started the game, the three of them in the starting lineup. It was supposed to be tonight, but Kevin Durant was announced this morning. He's out with an ankle injury, so as Bradley Beal and as Devin Booker return, he will not be available. Which is something else because this team needs cohesion. They need the reps. Part of the reason why I think Durant never won in Brooklyn is he didn't have the reps with James Harden with Kyrie Irving. When they got to the playoffs, they didn't have the cohesion of the Bucks teams, of that team that won in Milwaukee. Sure, Giannis was great, but he knew where his teammates were going to be. They knew where he was going to be, and they found a way to beat Kevin Durant. They need those minutes. They need that time together to figure out you know, their cadence, what they're going to do on the floor. Two months into a season, you haven't played the three of them on the floor together. That's just inex- That just can't happen. And I'm sure Kevin Durant's ankle is sore, and I'm sure Bradley Beal is going through his shit. 
But this is exactly the reason why the NBA invented the in-season tournament. Because the NBA product in the regular season has become a chore. So many players sitting out. Load managing. I'm sick. I might have the flu, but I really don't have the flu because I don't want to play tonight in a back-to-back in Memphis. Tickets are through the roof. The prices are crazy, but yet players don't show up. I give respect to players like Jason Tatum, who really don't sit out games in the prime of his career, and he seems to show up all the time. Steph Curry plays when he's damn healthy. Kind of has to with the Warriors team this year. But it's so few and far between the athletes that actually play every night. That value playing 82 games, that look at themselves and go, that's the job. But that's why the in-season tournament was a success. That's why, because the players seem to care about the games. And as you got to the end of it, it was teams that mean something. Regular seasons can struggle because you're stuck with bad teams for 82 games. You can't get rid of them. They're going to be on your schedule and you go, oh, the team's playing tonight. The NHL had this with San Jose. They become more acceptable. Still not great. Anaheim in that mix, Seattle. In the NBA, it's two teams or three teams. The Spurs, the Wizards, and the Detroit Pistons. The Washington Wizards have three wins. And again, it's December. And one of those wins came against the Pistons, who have two wins. Pistons have lost 20 straight games. The Spurs have lost 17 straight games. You can't make this up. This level of incompetence. Pistons are 2-21 on the season. On pace for 11 wins. The Wizards are 3-19. They lost by 45 points last night. In Philly. And the Pistons have to play the Sixers twice this week. While the Spurs are 3-19 and as well. And they lost to the Rockets. Three really pathetic things. You expect, expected better from the Spurs. You get Victor Wembenyama. You have some decent talent. Greg Popovich is coming back. And they can't beat anybody. It's not even close. Big Vic is not close to being a good player yet. He will be. He's going to figure out, but he's on a bad team, and it doesn't help. He can't shoot. Plays good defense, but offensively, he's a train wreck. The Pistons have Cade Cunningham. He's been okay. He hasn't been perfect. And you got a Sir Thompson. You look at their team. Monty Williams was fired from the Suns and brought in to Detroit. And he didn't really have a whole lot of people vying for his services. But Detroit said, Monty Williams is our guy. We had Dwayne Casey. We've gone through coaches. Stan Van Gundy didn't work. Let's bring in somebody we believe that can lead us into the promised land. Well, This 
summer, Monty Williams signed a six-year, $78.5 million contract with the Pistons to become their head coach, which is a salary of over $13 million a season to coach a 2-21 and team with 20 straight losses. Monty Williams is not going anywhere because they can't afford to do it. They're not going to fire a coach this early on. But 20 straight losses any time as a coach, I mean, that's, it's crazy. It's hard to be that bad. It's hard not to catch somebody. I thought the Pistons might win last night. Because you get the Pacers coming off the in-season tournament. They have all that momentum. It's a kind of a, a trap game. It's in Detroit, but the Pistons couldn't even win that. Okay, they kept the game close. Pacers still uh, covered the spread. Pistons couldn't even do that. 2-21. and 21. A team that's had more top five picks in the last decade than any other team in the NBA. And they are still in this position. The Wizards have been stuck in the mud forever. You can't blame John Wall and his bad contract. He's playing in China. He's been gone a minute. You get rid of Bradley Beal. And the Wizards, they always needed to be convinced that a teardown was needed. They'd always win enough games to stay out of one of having one of the top picks, play hard enough to win games that you shouldn't. Bradley Beal goes off for 50 on a night and you win a game and in Boston that you have no business winning. That's not going to happen this year. They're just an awful team with little to no talent and a lot of good teams in the NBA that can beat them. Kyle Kuzma is a good player, but he's not everything. Jordan Poole sucks. Kisberg, Koulibaly is a solid player, but he can't really shoot. Danilo Gallinari, playing fewer and fewer minutes as the games go on. Landry Shamit's on that team, not getting minutes. I mean, Embiid went 14 for 20 from the field last night. Four for four from the three-for-a line. Maxi 8 for 13. Pat Bev had 12 points in 11 minutes. 4 for 6 from the floor. House off the bench 3 for 4. Markeith Morris. 5 for 6. Reserves just benched bit pieces. Do whatever the hell they wanted on your team. Doesn't help the product. Now, the Raptors aren't a great team, but they're better than those teams. But they lost again last night in the Garden. They dropped to 9-14. and 14. Rumors floating around that Siakam could be traded soon. Scotty Barnes is being labeled as an untouchable. You know, Masai Ujiri had this aura about him. Had the balls to trade for Kawhi Leonard. Had the balls to let Kyle Lowry walk. 
had the balls to trade DeMar DeRozan after a day, the day before telling him you're not going anywhere. Since then, you know, he's had the balls the size of Justin Trudeau, which are none. Doing the status quo, keeping the same group, drafting Grady Dick, having a bench full of guys that really we don't know what the hell the position that they play. Is Precious Achua a power forward or a center? I don't know. To me, he's not big enough to play a center defensively. Dennis Schroeder. Ball hog. Doesn't pass. Who could have figured that one out? Trading for Jakob Pertl. And then re-signing him. It's a team that is never going to win anything. They might compete for a play-in spot. I don't. I didn't think they'd be a play-in team before the year. I don't think they're going to be now. But you just hang around. You hang around. You think this is what you are if things go right. You hire a new coach in Darko Rakovic. He looks a little above his skis. It's early, but it's, to me, cost him being questioned about his rotation, not knowing what he's going to do. He's just kind of looking around going, oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out as we go here. We'll see. I want to give them a few more games of losing basketball. We get a lot of basketball to play, obviously. But you look at the conference. Raptors are in there with the Bulls, who aren't a good team, who I think are going to be huge sellers. When Zach Levine's healthy, he'll be traded. DeMar DeRozan, who hasn't been traded the last couple of years, I think he will be at the by the deadline. The Hornets stink. So what might happen to the Raptors is the teams below them are not any good. Three win Washington, two win Detroit, seven win Charlotte, who they lost to last Friday. They're not going to be in the mix. So they could make the playoffs by default. The Atlanta Hawks are 9-13. and 13. But again, the Atlanta Hawks are not a good barometer because the Atlanta Hawks are not a great basketball team either. Mr. Trey Young, get the ball every time, bring the ball down the floor, and probably make the wrong decision. These two teams play tomorrow night. DeJounte Murray, Trey Young. I like Bogdanovich more than both of them, quite honestly, shooting the basketball. But can they be a play-in team? Maybe. But then are you beating Miami? Who were in the finals last year and they're only they're 13 and 10. They're in the eighth seed right now. Cleveland, 13 and 10. The Knicks are 13 and 9. You have the Pacers, who are 13 and 8. Then we get to the cream of the crop. Celtics are first in the East, 16 and 5. But you have the surprising Orlando Magic. At 16 and 7, they've been playing some consistently really good basketball over the first two months. I don't think they'll be the second seed in the East by the end of the year, but I think they're a playoff team. They're taking that step, they're ready to go. With Franz and Boncaro and Wendell Carter Jr. 
that team can play and they have the money and the draft capital to go out and make a trade for somebody if they want to try to compete. Because while Boston's really good and Milwaukee has Dane time with Giannis and the Sixers are good, but again, do you trust the Sixers? I think the Magic can... It's not a crazy season for them to go, hey, why not? Why can't we do this? Why can't we trade for Pascal Siakam? I think he'd help that team. I don't think they need another defender. They they have enough good defenders on that team. Siakam could help. Levine, potentially, but again, he's not one of my favorite players. I wouldn't want him. But just kind of middling, just hoping for everything to go your way isn't going to work. It takes time. It took a while for the Timberwolves, who are first in the West. But you get Anthony Edwards and you hit on him as a draft pick because he's a superstar. I think the Raptors are hoping that Scotty Barnes has a little bit of that upside in him and it takes a couple years and he breaks out. OKC in second. They got Shea Gilgis Alexander, who won the formerly named Lou Marsh Award yesterday. It's now the Northern Horizon or something stupid. I don't know why they changed the name. But we change names and we change stuff now for no good reason, so that might be why. The Mavericks are in third. Well, Luka, Kyrie have actually played pretty well together. Denver in fourth with Jokic. Sacramento. Took time, but you get De'Aaron Fox, you build some good talent, and you have the Lakers who are there as well. I'm sure the Raptors would love Shea Gillies Alexander to come home. And they cheer him. And OKC would probably boo him when he went back to OKC, like Long Island did to Devaris last night, but he's from Hamilton. He's one of the best players in the NBA, period. Great shooter, clutch performer. They got a good team in OKC, and they can get better. Will they spend the assets? That's the question. They should, because Chet Holmgren is already getting a whole lot better. He's getting better by the game. And they, they can trade away some pieces and keep that team competitive. They were a playoff team last year. I think they're going to win a playoff round this year in Oklahoma City. They'll at least take that step. That's a little basketball update on on a Tuesday. Because it is. I mean, right now the Golden State Warriors would miss the playoffs, miss the play-in at 10 and 12. It's an important game for them against Phoenix tonight in a big spot. No Kevin Durant. Pelicans would be in above then. Phoenix is in ninth at 12 and 10, right there with the Clippers, who have started to play better basketball over the last little while, trying to figure out the pieces, how they fit together. Clippers also go tonight. They host Sacramento. Sacramento on a back-to-back, so good potential game for the Clippers. Nuggets in Chicago, Cavs, Celtics. Warriors-Suns to a few decent games in the NBA as well. 
this evening. Shohei Otani. The story hasn't really ended because it's still sending shockwaves across the world. People in Toronto are still dumbfounded. Robert Urjavec, the man on the plane, was on overdrive yesterday, the great shark from Shark Tank. But Otani was never, we talked about this on Sunday night, he was never going to Toronto. It was bad reporting, and I understand Blue Jays fans getting their hopes up, but that was John Paul Morosi's doing and not Shohei Otani. I don't think he ever planned to go. We don't have to rehash this. What I want to talk about tonight is baseball doesn't have a salary cap. We discussed this. They don't, don't have any, You can do whatever you want. If you're a team with crazy amounts of cash, you can pretty much create a contract any way you'd like. And that's what Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Dodgers did with his deal. Do you know Otani signed a 10-year, $700 million deal? But he wants to defer money on his contract so that the Dodgers can spend and remain competitive while he's a member of the team. So what Otani is doing is he will be deferring $680 million be making a salary of $2 million a year for the entirety of the 10 years of his contract. So I'm going to repeat that. He's deferring $680 million, and he'll make $2 million a year for the 10 years that he is in Los Angeles as a member of the Dodgers. Following the end of that deal, so 20 34. When the deal is over from 2034 to 2043, Shohei Otani in that time period will be making $680 million. Basically, a Bobby Bonilla situation where every July 1st, whatever date, he will be making a large sum of money well into his retirement like a buyout in the NHL, anything like that, he will be making that money. But just a crazy amount of it. Because of his endorsements, because of the interest in him from Japan, off the field, he does not need to make that money. He's making it cr- a, a large sum already. So he's setting himself up to be in retirement and making more money than what he did when he was on the field. And this allows the Dodgers... To spend, this allows the Dodgers to play around, try to bring in free agents, improve the team, and bring a World Series sans COVID back to La La Land. First of all, it's crazy that you can do this, that this contract is allowed. But I have no problem with it. We're always beating the drum. The salary cap doesn't allow the big teams to do stuff. And this is highway robbery, and oh, it's not a fair playing Which is it? Because if there was a salary cap, you wouldn't be able to do this, right? But in teams with a salary cap, like the NBA, like the NHL, 
there are restrictions. Teams like the Rangers, teams like the Canadiens de Montreal, the Toronto Maple Leafs, you might hear sometimes, oh, if we didn't have a salary cap, we would spend more money than, say, Arizona, which they would. But if you're making that argument in hockey and you hate this contract in baseball, you're a hypocrite. Because this is the Dodgers saying, we can afford it. And we can afford it after. And we can try to be competitive now to put asses in the seats to sell out, to sell beer for a crazy price, have some winners, have some playoff gates during this 10-year period. Maybe we can win two World Series in that 10 years, potentially maybe more, if everything goes well. And the money we make will help us pay Shohei Otani in the future. That's their logic. It has to be. Because giving a player 10 years, $700 million in the first place is Kuko for Cocoa Puffs. It makes no sense. He will never live up to that contract. That's just one man's opinion, but I don't think it's going to happen. Being worth $700 million is crazy. How is that ever going to work? How is that ever a plan? But the Dodgers think it will work. And Otani's willing to wait for the money. It's not conventional. It's not what other teams do, and it's never happened. So it's like change. We're adverse to change. Myself, I hate change. Why would I want to change? I'm so great already. I'm not, but again, adverse to change. But, oh, you got to do this. Oh, you got you to go do this instead of going here. Well, no, I've always done it this way. Why should why should I do this? This is the Dodgers finding a loophole and exploiting it. And I don't think that this will be changed by the owners. And I don't think this will be changed by the players in the next collective bargaining agreement. And I'll tell you why. Because the other owners might bitch about it, but they're not going to get rid of it because they can't afford it. But you might might also see some owners go, well, maybe we can do that. But with lesser money. And it'll still be large sums. But maybe we could do it for, say, 330. And we might put you know 200 million over that, you know, 200 million deferred. They get the money after, they get some we help them get some endorsements with the team. They're making a good check outside, some NIL type money. And we help build the team. We help make them better. It will not be because no, there's no, there's no other Shohei Otani. Nobody hits and pitches. So the number ten years, seven hundred million. It's not like you're resetting the market because nobody is going to come close. Aaron Judge just signed. Bryce Harper. When Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Bobashev, when they become available, it won't be anywhere near this. Because they only do one thing. And they don't have the star power. And they do not have the pull of a show. They don't have the unicorn persona. So it's a complete, complete anomaly. Completely. Where nothing will be like it. 
can't say, oh, I've seen this one, because you haven't. It's a completely new circumstance that we have no idea that this is going to happen, that this is no idea this is the way it was going to transpire. $680 million deferred, and he'll be making that money when he's a retired baseball player. Those checks will not be fun to send out by the Dodgers if they do not win a World Series, if they do not have success with Shohei Otani. But they got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Shohei Otani, and reportedly they're trying to sign Josh Hader to bring in the best closer available. They re-signed Joe Kelly, who's a hard-hitting relief man. They won't be winning the World Series in 2024. They don't have the pitching, and I don't think the pitching will be good enough with the free agents available for them to get in the mix. This is about 2025 and beyond where you can build up a pitching staff and try to compete for that three- to four-year window when Otani is back pitching full-time. Next season, if you win the division and you go to the postseason, that's a plus. But if you go on FanDuel Sportsbook and betting on the Dodgers, it's a sucker bet. It's not smart. You're giving your money away because they're not going to win. I'm going to go look just for the fun of it right now. If I can find MLB on here. Major League Baseball. Baseball, here it is. World Series, if you wouldn't guess, Dodgers, plus 550, the best odds in all of baseball. Followed by the Atlanta Braves, a plus 650. Houston Astros, a plus 850. Texas, plus 900. Yankees round out the top five. Where the Yankees pitchers look, Dodgers pitching looks, not betting on either of them. Because they're not good enough to do it. I probably wouldn't bet on Houston either because I think that, you know they're going through a change, new manager, new general manager, different team. Last season of Bregman, Bregman's deal coming up. There'll be some changes in Houston. Sometimes you can lose it quick, but it just isn't there for these players. Maybe they take a Golden State-type drop-off this year after all their incredible success over the last number of years. But Shohei Otani setting a new standard and I think creating food for thought for teams around baseball who can afford to do this for a lot less money. If you can find a revenue source, if you can find endorsements that are going to pay your player a very good sum of money that they aren't worried about that about you know the hundred million down the road, you can make it work. But that player has to be motivated to do it because he wants to win. And I wouldn't sign a player unless I knew he wanted to win, hundred percent. And you need to. Have the finances and believe that you can do it and have the right front office that can build a champion. 
If you don't have those ingredients, then there's no point to deferring it. And there's really no point to signing that player other than if you're just signing a player because you feel like you have to with the media or the fans because people are upset with you, which is a stupid way to run business and you're, you're not going to win anyway. Do anything to appease other people and not yourself, not doing something just to augment your view, augment what you do for a living, you're screwed. Get nowhere with that attitude. Because it's a loser's race. Marcus Stroman, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Blake Snell all remain available. The only move in Major League Baseball today was Seth Lugo being signed by the Kansas City Royals, former pitcher with the Padres and the Mets. Three years, $45 million. Royals needed starting pitching, said they wanted to be aggressive. I think they're still in on Marcus Stroman, but they spent some money. We might might be a January thing now. Couple weeks till Christmas. Less than two weeks now. So we might go through the holiday season. You might see, you know, guys return and return in January, have some talks and see where they want to go. The trade market could also be a destination. Because giving Cody Bellinger a pile of money would scare the hell out of me because I don't trust him one bit. Given Marcus Stroman more than a one-year deal, no interest here. Blake Snell, also worried because I only think he can throw a certain amount of innings per season, which isn't all that appetizing to me. Josh Hader, I'll take. Josh Hader, I trust him. He can close a ball game just about as good as anybody in the league. Or maybe we'll see some signings after Yamamoto decides where he wants to play. I believe he met with the Yankees yesterday, met with the New York Metropolitans today. There might be another mystery team in the mix. But I expect to be the, to be some, see some movement this offseason. For Blue Jays fans, maybe go after an infielder. Maybe there's somebody on another team, they want to shed some salary. They got a good player. Happens. That's how you got Josh Donaldson. That's how you got Matt Chapman. Who's the team out there that kind of likes their player but wants to slim down their payroll because they're not winning enough to justify it? I'd look at the White Sox just as an example. Cleveland, new manager, moving things around. Do they want to start fresh? How about the Padres? Padres trading Juan Soto. What if the Blue Jays traded for Manny Machado? Is that out of the realm of possibility? You might argue he's not as good as he once was, which, okay. But you need somebody to play third, and I think he's a better bat than Matt Chapman, certainly. Than Santiago Espinal, anybody really on the open market. Peter Seiler, the owner of the Padres, just passed away, so they're in this state of transition. Does the new owner want to have that big of a payroll? Maybe they like money more than they like baseball. I haven't heard anything from an insider, but I would make that call. 
because he's a good third baseman. He can help your team today. That's what I know. And maybe he doesn't want to go with certain things, but hey, it's a team that can be competitive, certainly. Now, San Francisco continues to miss out on, on guys in free agency. They didn't get Aaron Judge. They didn't get Otani. They didn't get Bryce Harper. Well, do they want to tear it down? Do they want to start fresh? Players on that roster that can help. The Blue Jays team needs a spark. You're going to lose Kiermaier. So you need a center fielder. In my opinion, they're going to lose Matt Chapman. Because the only reason they bring him back is because they feel like they have to after losing Otani. And it's just like, okay, well, we'll have to give Matt the money. After he had a really poor, an awful season at the plate. After a great first month and change, he was dreadful. The rest of the year, I don't care how good he was defensively. Cardinals are spending money on veteran free agent pitchers, so it doesn't sound like they're going to be in, in the tank. They probably should be. Because I don't think they're going to be a good team again. They were finished dead last in their division this year. It's going to say Nolan Arenado. Doesn't get much better than him. I don't think the Cardinals would do it, but hey. They're kind of over, over overpaying guys like Sonny Gray. They normally didn't do it. They're now doing it all the time here. Come take our money. Come let us overpay you so you can come to St. Louis. Used to be a destination. Not really anymore. But I think teams need to, need to be aggressive. They need to be think outside the box to compete. Dodgers did with this contract. Maybe other teams can with their trades and, and the way they the way they do it. Finding a player you didn't expect to land and somehow he ends up on your team. The Yankees made the Juan Soto trade work. In the first couple weeks of free agency, they have upgraded their outfield and it's better than it was last year. Now they need to find a way to Improve their pitching. They could have both Cy Young winners on their team in a perfect world. They could have Blake Snell and Garrett Cole pitching together. Which would be a Yankee thing to do for Steinbrenner to go, hey, Cashman, go spend that money and go get him. Because other than Garrett Cole last season, we had fucking nobody that could get an out. Which is true. Nobody could help that team other than Garrett Cole. And their bullpen wasn't a whole lot better either. But baseball rumors, baseball things will continue to happen. If anything does happen, we'll update you here on To The Point. Quick news, Drake May, quarterback, University of North Carolina. He declares for the NFL Draft. Thought this is going to happen a couple of years at UNC. 68 touchdowns, 11 interceptions the last two years. Projected to go in the top three. Big arm compared to Josh Allen. Drake May's solid prospect. 
I know even like guys like Dan Orlovsky, who's great at recognizing good quarterbacks, like him more than they like Caleb Williams. So there might be some competition for that top pick. Other news, Riley Leonard, former quarterback at Duke, entered the transfer portal, and he's going to Notre Dame. For the second straight year, Notre Dame has scooped up a veteran college quarterback in the transfer portal. They got Sam Hartman from Wake Forest last year. Now this time it's Riley Leonard going to Notre Dame. So back-to-back years with transfer at quarterback, we saw this year, the three quarterbacks who were nominated for the Heisman were all transfers. Bo Nix transferred from Auburn. He's going to the NFL after he plays the bowl game. Dylan Gabriel transfers from Oklahoma to Oregon. We see Riley Leonard go to Notre Dame. And it sounds like Travis Etienne's brother, who was playing at Florida, really nice running back, may be transferring to the University of Georgia. So they might get more talent going into next season after they're going to lose Brock Bowers on offense, who's been the nucleus, who's been the driving force of that team the last number of years. But there's over 1,100 kids in the transfer portal. It's completely on fuego. It's, it's crazy what's happened. The way this is going. But I'd rather have it this way than just to lock up people's options. To have them stay at a school and not play. They have some versatility. They have options now. I think that's a good thing. Just like the NFL, sometimes there's just opportunities. That's why these college quarterbacks, you play well, you're going to get drafted. You're likely going to play. We see the injuries around the league. Justin Herbert today. Justin Herbert hurt his finger on the weekend. Happened in the game. Leaves the game. We learned today he's having season-ending surgery on his right index finger. He will miss the last four games of the season going on LTIR. So he is done for the year. Chargers are not going to make the playoffs. This could end up with a better draft pick. Brandon Staley will be fired at the end of the season. I can guarantee you that. So this really is a reset for the Chargers. They're going to get a good draft pick. It's a disaster year, though. Making the playoffs last year, blowing that huge lead to Jacksonville. They should have fired Staley after the game. They go through this season. They go through this charade this year. And this is what happened. Staley was a bad coach from day one. I talked about it. Their GM isn't much better, Telesco, because he drafted Quentin Johnson. I told you that wasn't going to work. Hasn't. He dropped the ball in college. He drops the ball in the NFL. He's been a complete fucking bust. Austin Eckler is going to be a free agent, so he might go. The running back, Keenan Allen, has been superb this season, but really it's only been him. Mike Williams will be coming off a torn ACL, so who knows how he's going to look. They lost Joey Bosa this year. They need help on, on, on the offensive line. They, they're gonna, I think they need another wide receiver, even after drafting one in the first round last year. They have holes. If they could somehow drop and pick Marvin Harrison Jr., that would be perfect for Justin Herbert. 
I think Marvin's going to go earlier than that in the draft. But that would be a match made in heaven. His big arm with a receiver that can run the complete route tree with Keenan Allen wouldn't get a whole lot better. But I think the Chargers need to start thinking now. Their owner needs to go, is Telesco the GM to lead us into the future? See the guy to do it? Brandon Staley sure as shit is not the head coach. So start looking now. I'd be calling Jim Harbaugh. Because I want, I want Jim Harbaugh to leave Michigan and come coach my team. I also think the Chargers are going to kick tires on Bill Belichick because I think Bill Belichick is leaving the Patriots after this year. Could he go coach the Chargers? Why not? They have a great quarterback. He can figure out the other side of the ball. You make it work. Maybe they'll just hire Kellen Moore, who's their offensive coordinator. I wouldn't do that, but again, it's the Chargers. They make stupid decisions. They've been doing it for 20 years. But that's the news on Herbert. Last night, two upsets. Giants beat the Packers. Titans beat the Dolphins in Miami. For the Giants, Tommy DeVito era is officially on. They've won three straight. He's riding the momentum. His agent looks like a guy out of Goodfellas. Kissing babies, kissing the family in the stands, having a great old time. Tailgate before the game, handing out, you know, gabagool to everybody who wants some. Jordan Love didn't play great in the first half. His receivers couldn't make a catch in the second. They were missing a lot of players on defense, and the Giants ended up winning. Giants are now in the mix to make the playoffs in the NFC, as crazy as that sounds, because every team seems to be 6-7. and seven which the Packers are. They currently occupy the final wildcard spot in the NFC. AFC. Dolphins, 14-point lead with 2.59 left, and they blow the game. Gutsy might make Vrabel to go for two, which he did. Will Levis was huge down the stretch. Xavier Howard could not stop anybody, giving up chunk play after chunk play. And the Dolphins' defense didn't show up. Here's the bigger thing for me. Tyreek Hill covers up wounds. You could be watching a movie and you go, well, is that good? But Robert Downey Jr. is in the movie, so you go, actually, it was pretty good. Then you, you leave the theater and you think about it. And you're like, well, was that really a good movie? You're like, well, yeah, well, Robert Downey Jr. was in the movie. You're like, yeah, well, it actually sucked. Just Robert Downey Jr. is so fantastic. Tyree Kill is the MVP of the league still. I think it only helped his chances last night because he was injured early and their offense went to complete hell. They could run the football, but Tua could not find anybody down the field. They turned the ball over twice. Stupid decisions. He he probably could have thrown three interceptions last night. Tennessee Titans defenders just dropped the ball. They might have had a 14-point lead, and that's on their defense. But for three quarters, they couldn't score. Their offense was putrid. It was dead in the pass game. To me, without Tyreek, it just tells me they can't win Jack. He's that big of a difference for that team. So Dolphins are 9-4, but I don't trust them. They're the last movie nominated for the Academy Award because you need to have somebody. You need to have something in there. 
It's Emmy season. Oh, that show got nominated. We need to have a certain amount of shows per category. And that just that one just got thrown in because we needed something. And while the Dolphins have their problems, they're still in the mix because the AFC is full of frauds. And as I said yet on Sunday night, there's only so many good teams. There's not many of them. Three of them are in the NFC. I don't trust any in the AFC. And with the Dolphins losing that night, uh, last night, the Chiefs still have a chance at the number one seed, and they're not a good team either. They're averaging 17 points a game. But they could lose this week to the Patriots. Who the hell knows? It's all the way up in the air. Chargers Raiders on Thursday. No podcast tomorrow. I got a Christmas party that I have to attend. So doing that, we're back Thursday. We'll talk about lots of stuff. I want to get to UFC on Thursday. Didn't get to that today. We'll talk about that on Thursday. Should be good because some interesting thoughts. We'll talk about UFC on Friday too. So we'll do the betting lines for UFC 296 this weekend because that card is shaping up. Oh, what a card it is. Can't wait to get into it. And all that's happening uh, leading up. We'll react to the NHL games over the next two nights, some NBA news and whatever else happens in the world of sports. So thank you for the support. Thank you for tuning in as always. I'm your host, Noah Warren. Talk to you soon. This is To The Point.